Hey folks, welcome to the House of Kraus. I'm Richard Kraus. The Easter eggs have all been found and we all have that kind of slightly weird tingling feeling on the tops of our heads that you get from eating way too many jelly beans because we're celebrating around here. It's Easter Monday. It's also 2016, which anyone that's been paying attention knows the Queen has given her official blessing as the 40th anniversary of punk rock. So I thought, what better way to celebrate that than to resurrect an interview that I did some time ago with one of the most famous names in all of punk rock, John Lydon, AKA Johnny Rotten. The interview's from the year 2011. We were talking about a movie called Sons of Norway. I'll tell you all about that in just a few minutes. Uh, first up though, Glenn Mazzara drops by. Now, Glenn Mazzara is a television producer and writer, probably best known for The Walking Dead, but also was the guiding light behind The Shield. Uh, and he has a new show on television right now called Damien, which is based on the Omen movies. In this interview, we talk about all sorts of things. Like, how did he go from being a hospital administrator to working on shows like Nash Bridges and The Shield and becoming a very successful television producer. You don't want to miss it. It's Glenn Mazzara. And while you're at it, check out the show Damien on A&E. You worked as a hospital administrator. That's right. Uh, in New York. And then as the story goes, and uh, this is what I want to get from you, and I gave it all up and said, you know what? Enough of this. I'm going to move to L.A. and, and try my luck out there. Seems like a huge step. Well, I wasn't really that good a hospital administrator. So, <laughs> so, um, it, you know, I, I was one of those people writing in coffee shops yep. and going into work. I didn't have a laptop at the time, so I was going in and using the hospital computers, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, uh, to work on screenplays and all. And then I had a couple, I had some luck. I had a few people who were interested in, in meeting with me and reading with me and, and the ball started rolling and, and, you know, I was pursuing my dream. Right. So at what point do you say, oh, that's far enough. I'm not going to pursue my dream. Once it starts opening and you feel, yeah, I want to do this. I love this. I'm going to take a chance. And, and listen, my wife was incredibly supportive and we moved out. We had a small child. So it was a big sacrifice, yeah. particularly for her, because at least I was working. She was, mm, I hope this guy knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And you're, you know, you sound like a, a born and bred New Yorker. So moving to the coast is a, is a big step as well. It, it terrified my father. You know, yeah. my father worked in a hospital for 47 years. So the idea that I would pick up, move across the country to an industry where I knew no one and then really change jobs mm -hmm. every year and a half, two years to go to a different show. You never know if a show is going to be canceled or not. He still thinks I'm nuts. Well, I'll tell you, you know, uh, if my dad, who is 85, is any indication, he still doesn't understand exactly what I do for a living. <laughs> right, right. Even though there's nine books out in the radio, he sees me on TV and stuff, he still doesn't quite get it because I don't go somewhere at 9 o'clock every day and, you know, punch a clock. Yeah, there's not a clean path. Yeah. And getting back to the Odyssey, that's my point. And I think that when we go into making TV when if you think about TV production mm -hmm. it's a it's a manufacturing term you know it's supposed to be that we're clerks and we're nice neat writers and we hit the desk every every morning at 9 a.m. Mm -hmm. and start writing and and it's not that easy Cre uh, the creative process is messy and and it takes you down a lot of odd paths 
and somehow it all comes together and you can draw upon all your experiences when you're writing. And I think people think it's supposed to be one thing, but my experience is that it's very different. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think people really understand unless you've written, unless you've done it, what the process is. And, and I often get new writers coming to me and saying, you know, what do you think I should do? How do you think? And I, I say, I don't know what you should do because it took me years to figure out my process. It took me years to figure out how to uh, get the words from my you know, brain onto the page. And, you know, whatever it is, and inspiration still strikes at weird times. It's and, and, and it's not like any other job. True. Uh, you know, I, I was working on one show and we had a script coordinator, a woman who published the scripts, kept track of all the proofreading, that stuff. And she was baffled by my process because she said, there is no process. You know, it's like an apocalypse now. Do you find my methods mad? Yeah. <laughs> I don't find any method here at all, sir. It's like that, you know, and, and I've been accused of becoming Kurtz and going up the river and, and all of that. But hey, it, it works for me. Well, it's, it, it certainly worked in the uh, last season of The Walking Dead. Thank I you. have to tell you, this uh, it was and I've said this on this show a lot of times and I've said it in you know, all over the place. There were episodes of the third season that were the best thing, not only on television that week, but that year. Well, thank that you. That's very nice. There was stuff that happened in that in that uh, season, and it was a brave season. You killed off characters that people had grown to love. Mm-hmm. You uh, took the show in a, in a much different direction than it had been. Um, was there <laughs> uh, was that all part of a plan? How? What's that process like? At the very beginning of this, do you know where it's going to go, and then uh, you have to sort of I don't know, adapt as the audience says, Ooh, we really like the governor. So you think, man, we got to keep him around. Or how does it work? We bring the writers together uh, early on. Before, before that, I had written a long document on what the show felt like, right. just, just what my inspiration was for the season, uh, what I wanted some themes to be. And then you bring writers together and everybody kind of adds. So, so as we start writing, we present that to the other producers, the network, and then you get into the scripts. So by the time the show is airing and we're getting audience feedback, most of it's in the can. So we are not making adjustments based on audience response. Right. We're not doing that. But so it's really my job to kind of guide us. And, and I really always felt this show is a horror show mm-hmm. that I need to push the horror that we see in horror movies pushed out. Why is it scary? And and that's why I think people are on the edge of the seat, because we're also kind of doing a classic horror, more like the 70s films than a lot of the sadistic horror you see today. Mm-hmm. That's not something I'm interested in. So that's that's been something that I've really that I, that's been, I think, what I've added to the show to really, really push that element. And, and some of that means that, you know, death is is always present. Mm-hmm. Death hits you when you don't expect. That's something I, I took seriously. What does criticism, what effect does it have on you? It, you know, it's interesting because, again, all of this criticism is after everything's been shot mm-hmm. and aired. So, um, you know, it's funny because there is a, a tremendous amount of, of uh, good press about the show. Mm-hmm. And I just blow right past that. I only read the negative stuff and and I beat myself up and I take this stuff seriously. And I want to I used to want to engage in debates with people. And and then I just realized, you know, people are talking about the show. People Mm -hmm. are excited about the show. People have their opinions. And and that's okay. That's good. And and I want to create work that people have strong opinions about. And here they are. 
And so uh, it's it, I've been getting better at trying to tune it out because it is just chatter mm-hmm. in the sense that you have to put it all aside when you sit down with the blank page. When you start writing, you can't think about is so-and-so going to like this or not or whatever. You just try to tell the best story you can, and you have to focus on being true to that story. So the criticism is hard to tune out, and I don't know if I can ever not listen to it, but it's funny how I only take the negative stuff seriously. That was Glenn Mazzara. He's a good guy, probably best known as the showrunner for The Walking Dead in what I think were its best seasons. But Damien, his new show, is very cool. It takes the the omen mythology that we've all kind of grown up with, if you're a horror movie fan, and pushes it around to some new, interesting, and different places. So check out Damien. It's on A&E. Easy to find. Basic cable. You can do it. Now... A few years ago, I got to do an interview I was very excited to do. Like, very, like, crazy beyond excited to do. John Lydon, a.k.a. Johnny Rotten, was a real cultural touchstone for me while I was growing up. And 39 years ago, in March of 1977, I hadn't, I don't think, heard any of the Sex Pistols yet. They just released the single God Save the Queen, and I was reading about it. And back in those days, in the small town that I grew up in, we didn't have access to all the stuff. We didn't have access to the internet. We didn't have access uh, to radio stations that were playing this kind of music. So I read all about it before I ever heard a note of the music. I knew everything there was to know about Johnny Rotten, about the Sex Pistols, about God Save the Queen. And I was excited by the music then. I'm still excited by it now. And I was really interested to meet Johnny Rotten Johnny Lydon, and I was not disappointed. Fantastic conversationalist, a warm guy, an interesting man. We were talking about a movie called Sons of Norway, and it's about a young Norwegian boy who kind of turns into this rebellious punk rocker following the death of his mother in 1978. It's an oddball little movie. You're going to have to search the, the deep, dark corners of the internet and or your local video store, if there is such a thing left in your neighborhood, to find it. But it's worth a look. Leiden plays kind of the spirit of punk rock and gives what I would suggest is a typically spirited performance, the kind of thing that we would expect from him. Uh, in this chat, uh, you will find out why his nipples almost froze while making the movie, and just how much like Richard III he really is. That's his own words, not mine. Uh, John Lydon, I enjoyed this conversation. I hope you do too. Congratulations on the film. Uh, in what way? Well, in what way? Well, listen, anytime a movie... Have you seen it? Yeah, I have seen it, yeah. It's all right, isn't it? It is good, you know? So I made the right decision. When, mm-hmm. See, this, this came across because um, the script was, was sent to us and then asked, would we want to, like, you know, have a say or partake in it in any way, shape or form? Oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah. I, and, I mean, you know offers come in all the time. People want to use my name for this, that or the other. But this is a little bit extra special. Uh, and, and the hard work of, of, of putting it all together and, and contributing to it has paid off, I think, wonderfully. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, what really grabbed me about it. I was uh, 14 or 15 years old in 1977, 
And uh, the music was the thing that got me through. The, the, the music that started coming out, like your music yeah. in those days, was the sound that I heard in my head, yeah. but nobody else was making records like that. And then I started to hear it, and it changed my life. Well, you weren't the only one. Yeah. No, <laughs> this exactly. is what occurred to me. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. And, and so I wonder if that's but we, we had what a, we, I we, about we gave ourselves a musical background to, to change the world around us as, yeah. as we've seen it. And we knew that we could alter things. Um, in, in the years that have come since, uh, the media has found a way of poisoning all of that, that original sense of fun and that, that hope for a future. I mean, songs like God Save the Queen, you know, the refrain, no future. That's an ironic statement. But if you put that in the hands of a journalist when it writes for the music papers, that was taken quite literally. Well, see, and, I... and, you know, but we change things. And, and this is the voice of rebellion from a, a Norwegian kid's point of view in, in the 78 period. Wonderful. We see punk meant a lot of things to a lot of people. I don't think any of us realised that at the time quite, how yeah. widespread all of that was. Yeah, I was going to ask you, I mean, you must have known, you know, in your circle, obviously, you're like... Well, there's clues. Yeah, you know, this is making a difference. But, the, you know, the, the history of the band was a little tumultuous. You know, things were, things were going on that I think that maybe took away from the experience for you. Is that true? Or no? Yes and no, but... You've got to bear in mind that real life is tumultuous, and, and so why shouldn't your band be? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a natural reflection of, of the world you live in. Um, and the lies that adults tell their children, um, and how they, they try to co-opt you into a society that leaves no hope for you. And indeed, you brought up as a member of the disenfranchised, that, that's still in my heart. Um, the age of innocence, really, for all of us, and uh, those that are really smart about it have never lost that innocence, that hope, that yeah. sense of hope. I don't want to get co-opted into what we now call society, the shitstorm. It doesn't work for me. Right. It doesn't work for the kid in this film. It didn't work for you. Yeah. Well, do you think, had you not uh, stood by that jukebox and saying, I'm 18 and auditioned, that we'd be sitting here today? Or would you have found another way well, to do all this? I don't know. I mean, it's hard to know. But it, what if pigs could fly? They'd be mm. pork in the treetops. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what... I, I, I was smart enough to see there was a way out here. Yeah. And uh, smart enough to be able to write songs, uh, you know, that really were the backbone mm. of my way out. It, it, I wasn't getting co-opted into a into a pop music shitstorm that I didn't yeah. want nothing to do with. I didn't write trivial nonsense songs. Yeah. Um, I love music, I've always have bought it, and I've always been interested in it, but I wasn't copying anyone. This is my own expression. Right. The songs are genuine, and, and it's nice to see that they meant the same to other people. Well, and then, but for the grace of God, it could have been that the young kid portrayed in this film that wrote those songs, I'd still be backing them, right. one way or the other. Yeah. So I said, you know, hello, I'm Mr. Rotten here, but yeah. I'm not Mr. Rotten the superstar, I'm Mr. Rotten the human being that does care about his fellow human beings and expects others to care for me equally. Well, so if you disrespect me, I will disrespect you back. Right, right. Well, I, I, do you have a sense, though, and you must, I guess, but do you have a sense how much those songs meant to people and how much the anti-establishment 
uh, point of view that you personified for so long and still do, but uh, meant to people. I mean, when I heard those songs come crashing through on the soundtrack of Sons of Norway, it, it still blows my hair back. Well, not really, but it still, you know, because it's, 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 it's glued down very tightly. You have to explain it somehow. <laughs> but it. it, it <laughs> <laughs> but but it, it really it, it, they, they still mean so much to me. Oh, well, and I'm really then I'm really pleased that it works that way yeah. because um, there was a lot of discussion about using songs. Uh, of course, um, you know, uh, certain people wanted to use more songs than right. that, but um, it was tapering it off so that they'd be the most poignant, the least used. Right. Right. But um, they they have a point and a purpose each song in in its place and. It, I think it sums up an atmosphere really wonderfully and accurately. I love when and, you know it's the true story of punk, really. Yeah. Which up until now I don't think any of the films made have ever portrayed. Well, and that absolutely, right? absolutely yeah. includes the rock and roll swindle, which is the biggest phony bollocks of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, ex-manager. Miss you, you're dead, but you're a cunt when you were alive. Yeah. Yeah, well, that that movie. I mean, for me, as a as a young guy who was never going to be able to see the Sex Pistols, uh, meant something to me that movie did because it, it it was it was something I could grab onto. I could see. Yeah, but it in the, 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 in the joy though that we were all Sex Pistols and we all yeah. still are really. Yeah. 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 I know. <laughs> Don't lose your age of innocence. Yeah, yeah. Well, adolescence is is a troubled, difficult time at best. And I think one of the things that this movie does so well, and the thing that for me really grabbed me about the movie, is its universality. You know, it, this this happens to be set in Norway, but it could have been set in Liverpool, Nova Scotia, where I grew up, yeah. or it could have been set in you know where you grew up in, in yeah. London. It could have been set in any part of the world because uh, adolescence is the same wherever you are. You know, that age is the same, and the need to rebel and, and get through it is the same. Yeah, and wasn't wasn't a, a process formed out of intellectualism, mm -hmm. uh, but instinct, which is uh, the best form of intellectuality, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're still bring on the riots. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're still. I mean, Public Image Limited has a new record coming out, which you're working on right now. I think you just I finished it. Yep, yeah. yeah. uh, literally four days ago. Yeah. Twelve songs, and they're the money. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me anything about it, or is, should I just... Uh... I don't want to blow my own trumpet, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's in a proper pill vein, but it yeah. doesn't sound like anything pill have ever done, right. and yet you know it is. And anybody who's been uh, following a, a, our recent two-year solid tour, mm -hmm. um, and that's a lot of people, will truly, truly understand that like, we, we've, we've done a great honour to them. Right. All right. We haven't, we haven't made a commercial cop out and we haven't made an imitation of ourselves. This is a, as public image must always be, a progression of thought. Right. And I think it was uh, difficult in the early years uh, because the, the music was incredible. The first couple of public image records, uh, public image limited records were incredible, but I think people were just so expecting. Uh, more of the same from you that when you came in you well, were as an artist yeah, and you yeah. changed I understand but the bigger yeah. truth is this the first two albums were like treated with the utmost uh, suspicion right. because they were so different because people were demanding a Sex Pistols mm -hmm. sound and when they got used to that sound they weren't prepared to advance to the next stage of right. Pill 
and therefore judgmental. And it's been like that, really, all through my life. It takes about two years to three to four to sometimes a decade before people understand what it is I'm doing. Um, I experiment in all things, but basically, and you're a fool not to realise this, pop music is my instinctive roots in all things. Right. The Sex Pistols are pop music. Mm -hmm. Never forget it. Loud, great, amazing guitar pop music. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And if you think I'm going to dismantle that, you got another thing coming. <laughs> Until you hear the new album. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when will we hear it? Soon. We're open March. Yeah. But I'm not really here to promote that. No, you know, I just wanted to, you know. I just wanted to. I, we'll talk about. But stuff. I don't mind. Yeah. <laughs> Let, let's talk about uh, your acting in this. I saw uh, a normal. It's not acting. It's cameo, really. Mm. And, uh, and forgive me, I'm not the greatest cameo merchant in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was freezing cold that night. Yeah. And they they warned me because it was filmed in Norway uh, out in a blizzard, full on snow, and Norway can be pretty cold. But they wore me to wear thermals and I wouldn't. And I went out and my nipples froze. Right. And, it's, cool. and, and then ah, the, the teeth start chattering. And then finally I gave in to the thermals. Then I could get a couple of lines out. But it, it's a very interesting, good little scene because there is this young man looking out at the city and he's trying to make sense of it. And Mr. Rotten's standing there telling him what he thinks of it. And hopefully those words are poignant. I think so. And mean something. In a weird way, that's me talking to myself. Well, see, I was going to ask you about that, because I wonder, uh, did you, I mean, again, I don't want to dredge up the past too much, but, you know, you didn't, it didn't seem like you had, I've read your book, and I've, I've read a great deal about the band, it didn't seem like you had anyone that was giving that kind of guidance to you back in, in those days, in those early sort of formative years. Is, is that a, a fair... Assessment? Yeah, but I had a lot of people telling me not to do what I was doing, which oddly enough was the greatest guidance ever. Because <laughs> it made you want to go the other way, right? Yeah, but I, I've, I am an individual. I always have been. And there are many reasons for that. Belligerence not being one of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had to find myself. I, I don't want to go on about this or, or be, be a sad sack, but... Um, when I had meningitis and I was seven, I, I lost my memory, which didn't come back to me for some four years. So I really didn't know who I was, who my parents were, who anything was. So I had to learn to trust complete strangers and rely on their word. This is why I can't tolerate liars to this present day. But that trust and, and that belief, and then when, when I realised that certain people were not lying to me, so I loved the human race from there on in. And knew who I really, really, really was at that point. And so out of a terrible illness, you know, and almost a fatal tragedy, really, because very few come out of a coma, uh, I think I did well. So, you know, thank you, God, you know. Yeah. You gave me a real gift there. Yeah. Uh, a chance to uh, analyse myself and find out who I really, really was. And that's what that young boy is doing on that balcony. Well, and I wonder, uh, having seen the film, you pop up uh, vintage uh, contemporary footage of the time, pops up on television screens throughout. We see, it, we see it a few times in the film. When you see that, is there still self-reflection that goes along with that? Do you, do you look at that and still try and... In a, in a light-hearted kind of way. 
Yeah. I don't analyse myself in that way, but I'll go, oh my God, look at the septic spot on the end of my nose. <laughs> <laughs> How dare they film me that badly? <laughs> I'm sure I must have been handsome once. <laughs> you know, yeah. all of those sillinesses that we have as human beings. Yeah. The way we overjudge ourselves. Yeah. I'm a human. Yeah. Do you think that the image that you have of yourself, we've not met before, and, and I, I... Oh, no, no, I, I get a great answer for you here. Okay. Once, uh, Madame Two Swords at the Rock Circus, right. they, they asked to make a waxworks of me. And yeah. uh, so, you know, you have to stand there for four hours while they slowly move you around and take photos, and then they make the waxwork doll. Now, the idea I had of myself was absolutely nothing at all. Like, when I walked around this waxwork doll of me, which is apparently uh, identical, that was an odd thing. It's something I recommend that everybody have done. I know it's too expensive, but, you know, just get your mum to buy some of those, you know, those scent candles that are in every street corner <laughs> and do something similar so you can go this is what you like it's was, intriguing to walk around and see yourself in that in that way yeah was it humbling or was it what what was it well you know you, you, you come to grips with the fact that you truly are a hunchback and that's a call back to meningitis because yeah. of you know all the operations and things on my spine that went wrong but all these other things, and you look at your shoe size, and you go, oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And the way you hold yourself physically. And how, you know, how like Richard III I really am. <laughs> we'll get you a horse. Without your kingdom. <laughs> I don't want no horse. <laughs> John, it has Peace. been a real pleasure to meet you. Cheers. All the best. What better way to celebrate Easter than to sit down and talk with John Lydon? He's a good guy. He was not at all what I expected. I loved having that conversation with him. Uh, if you're interested in the film, it's called Sons of Norway. Uh, I don't know exactly how you're going to find it. You're going to have to poke around a little bit, but it's really worth a look. Uh, if for no other reason than to see John Lydon manifested as the thing that he really is, which is the spirit of punk rock. And this, as we all know, is the 40th anniversary of punk rock, or at least according to the Queen, who gave her blessing to the year 2016 to be known as the year of punk rock. So here we are, John Lydon, Sons of Norway, and the Queen, together again. Uh, but that's it. That's it for this week's show. Uh, thanks for coming by. We always love seeing you, but now it's time for you to go. Time for you to go off and eat your own Easter eggs and jelly beans and all that kind of stuff. But come back and see us next Monday. We put up a new show every Monday, so if you'd like to hear us, we'd love to see you. <laughs>